All right. All right. As I approach the stage, yes, go ahead. As I approach the stage, I'd like to make a plea to any department in this church for some, some new waiters for the baptismal. We have sprung a leak, folks. We have sprung a leak. In all seriousness, what a program. The majority of this country, this is unheard of. Bible and public school, that doesn't happen. What a great program. Hey, if you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you. Deacons, let's make sure we get these visitors a welcome card. I definitely want to chase after you folks and invite you back. We thank you for being here with us this morning. Those that are tuning in, we appreciate you as well. Cindy, I don't mean to call you out in front of everybody, but it is awesome to see you again. Cindy Jones is back with us. It is good to see her face up there. Folks, we're in Ephesians 2. If you'll turn to Ephesians 2, we're just going to look at the first five verses. The first five verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Title of today's sermon is called To Be Lost, and we're going to explain what those three words mean for us and others, to be lost. All right, Ephesians 2, let's look at the first verse here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I want to intertwine a story today with this scripture. And a lot of you probably remember this story from the news. This happened in 2018, June 23rd, 2018. There is a wonderful documentary out called The Rescue. I've watched it several times so I could take notes and make sure I was up to speed on the events that happened and as well as the despair and the hopelessness. In northern Thailand, there was a soccer team, 12 kids, one coach. They lived in a rural area, and they were celebrating a birthday. And they had ridden their bikes to this mountain that was in their region, their area where they played. It was kind of like a playground in their backyard. And they went to this mountain with this huge cave system. Um, and they entered it, and they went, guys, they went like two and a half miles deep into this system. The problem is, and I'm not sure if the monsoon season had started or if it was on its way, but the rain began to fall, and they became trapped as the rains fell, and the caves became flooded. They actually entered in dry, but when they went to come back, they saw that it was sealed off with water. So they were trapped. The caves were flooding so quickly, they couldn't get out. When it was discovered that these 13 were missing... It was too late for anyone to save them. It was too late. They were lost. Now let me explain a little bit of the process here. They discovered that the children were missing. They found their bikes out in front of the mouth of the cave, and the authorities took immediate action. People were coming in with maps, and they were trying to figure out, how do we get them? How can we get to them? At first... They were missing, and it probably wasn't set in the panic yet for the parents. But as the day progressed, 
they realized their kids were as good as dead. This was a hopeless, hopeless condition they were in. It took nine or ten days for these 13 to even be discovered. For th- it was like nine or ten days for the, they were even discovered. And, and, and note this, guys. Although that they were located, follow me here. Although they were located, they were still lost. There was no saving these kids at this point. They were lost. When divers first started their initial search, they actually found four workers that had fallen asleep in this cave system. Talking about sleeping on the job, right? They had fallen asleep in this cave system, and the divers had come up to this pocket of air and found them. Now, they were really close to the mouth of the cave, but the reason I bring these workers up is because they put the regulators and the, the oxygen in their mouth and swam each one out. They were only underwater for about 30 seconds, folks. And the guy said, the diver said, that was chaotic. It was like a wrestling match trying to get those adults out. Can you imagine the panic of being under pitch black water, not knowing where you're going with the current hitting you, and someone pushing you through these small areas? I would have lost it. And here they are trying to wrestle these men to safety. And then, of course, later on, they would locate these 13. Divers from all over the world had started coming in along with the Thai Navy SEALs in an attempt to locate and rescue these kids. At this point, it was not more, it wasn't more of a a rescue, it was more of a, we need to find the bodies. It's a salvage thing. So, as they progressed, they realized, you know what, this is going to take a special type of diver with a special skill set, with special equipment in order to seek out these lost. That's where we're at. So the water, right, it continued to seep in the cave from, from up higher in the mountain. They could not stop the waters. They were damming them up. They were trying to drill in for oxygen. They were doing whatever they could. The water would not stop. They drained millions and millions and millions, and it went down like one little centimeter. Millions and millions of gallons of water. They could not stop it. So they were trying to dam those areas up. They were trying to drill in. They were trying to pump out the water, multiple pumps, and it would not go down. This was a hopeless condition. What got me, and I'm going to ask for you to do this today, there were parents. The parents came. They were standing there with the bikes. They were in front of the mouth of this cave, just screaming at the mouth of the cave to the children. I don't know if you're going to be able to do this, but I need you to picture your children trapped in this cave, two and a half miles deep on a sandy embankment, scared, cold, thirsty, hungry, realizing, you know what, this may end. The water is rising. I need you to be a parent, realize there is nothing I can do to save my child. Feel that panic and that anxiety. If you don't have children, I need you to picture somebody that you love, someone that you love or have loved. I need you to feel the ache and the pain and the despair of losing someone so dear to you, someone that you would trade your life for in a second. I need you to feel that as we talk about these children that are trapped in this cave. Nothing was working. They were going over all their options. They were going all the alternative ways. How can we get food and water in there? Uh, how can we drill in and get some oxygen to them? You know, uh, there was one plan to leave them down there for another four months till October. There's June, right? Till October, till the monsoon season was over. Then we'll go in and get them. We'll just keep taking them in food and water. The problem is, a diver had gone down there and he took an oxygen level reading, and it read fifteen percent. 
Now, I don't know if you know much about oxygen levels, but anything under 18% is not sustainable. They were coughing now. They were sick. It was that wet cough. You know what I'm talking about? There was, a, uh, there was nothing they could do about the oxygen, and a storm was coming. Folks, these, these are ticking clocks, both the oxygen and the storm, the rains, the waters rising, ticking clocks. They are in a hopeless, hopeless place. Here's the kicker. They wanted to leave them in there and then come back in four months. That cave was not accessible for another eight months. It would have been a graveyard. It would have been a graveyard for eight months. One of the mothers came up to one of the divers. She spoke on behalf of the families, and she said this to one of the divers. And actually, it was the diver that rescued her child. And let me just give you, let me preface this real quick. I told you those gentlemen were under the water for 30 or 40 seconds, right? These kids had to be put in a wetsuit with the full face mask and sedated because it took over a couple hours to get them out. Imagine being underwater for a couple hours, swimming, pushing your child through the smallest of, uh, of holes, right, in these tunnels, trying to get them out, coming up for pockets of air, re-sedating uh, them, giving them another shot, and then going back under. You have no idea. Are they breathing? Are they going to make it? Am, am I bringing a dead child out to his parents? The risk was great. But a mother came to one of these divers and said, listen, our children had died. She spoke on half the families. Our children had died, but now they've been given another life. Can you imagine saying those words? Give it another life. 17 days underground, trapped by waters, decreasing oxygen levels, the pitch blackness and cold, right? The hunger, the thirst. It was a bad and dangerous situation, and there was only one way out. There was no other way. There was one way out, and it was back the way they came. They had to go through that cave. The way they entered was the way they'd have to go back. There was only one way out, and the plan was devised, and guess what? Every single one of them were rescued, every single one of them, and now they were truly found. They weren't found before. They were lost until they exited that cave and were freed from that hopeless condition, right? Until they were freed, they were lost but now they're found. And that's just the story I want to continue to go back and forth to, if you're okay with that, and talking about Ephesians. That first verse there said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Folks, death equals sin. Sin equals death. For the spiritual world, we call it being lost, okay? So when I say lost, or death, you know I'm talking about the same thing. This is the spiritual state prior to conversion in which every human being since Adam has been born into except Jesus Christ. All have lived in rebellion against God through the trespasses and sins that we read about here in Ephesians. This state is one of depravity, and it points to all who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior. You know this verse, Romans 6.23 what is the penalty of sin? What, what happens when we sin? It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, this is a payment. This is what's due. This is what's owed for sin. And we were born into it. This is not only a physical death, but a spiritual death. It is separation from God. And what Paul is saying here is significant, folks. There is no middle ground. You are either dead or you are alive. You are either lost 
or you are found. There's no middle ground. Those two categories. A dead man cannot respond to stimuli. You cannot have a conversation with a dead man. He's not, he or she's not going to get up and participate in activities, right? No, they cannot respond to stimuli. Neither can a spiritually dead person respond to stimuli, spiritual stimuli, unless enabled to do so by God. These trespasses and sins describe the evil that controls and characterizes human life apart from God. It controls and characterizes the human life apart from God. They are both the cause of death, and yet they are also the evidence of it. Being sons and daughters of Adam, we enter this world spiritually dead. We have no inclination, no responsiveness towards God, and we have no ability to please him. This does not mean that unbelievers can't do good. They can. And it also doesn't mean unbelievers can't respond to the gospel message. They can. But only through the initiating grace of God can they respond. It's His initiating grace. As you can see, without help from God, this is a hopeless condition. This is what it is to be lost. Look at verse 2 in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient. Look at three. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like who? Like the rest of mankind. Folks, we know what it is to be lost, but why were we lost? And why are the multitudes out there so disobedient? Why are they lost? Why are they dead? Why are Christians like you and I walking through a literal graveyard of death? Well, there's three reasons. There's three reasons. And the Bible presents it. It's going to be the world, Satan, and the flesh. There's three enemies of God right there. And these are the three that hit us so hard. The Bible says we once walked, so don't think you're clean and free. We all once walked in this, and this is what he wants the Ephesian believers to understand. We all lived in the state following this world and following the prince of air. Now, following makes me think of sheep. I don't know what you think of, but I think of sheep, and of course, that represents you and I in Scripture, doesn't it? What do sheep do? Well, they're not the brightest animal. (laughs) They're pretty dumb. They are not the brightest animal, and they need a leader. They are followers. But who are the sheep following? That is the question. Who are the sheep following? See, Paul is drawing a sharp contrast between our past and present conditions, our pre-Christian life and our past Christian life, our post-Christian life, if you will. So let's look at what influences us in our pre-Christian state. Again, those three, world, Satan, and flesh. Following the world. Following the world. Paul is explaining to the Ephesian believers that before knowing Christ, they were under the powerful influence of the culture and society in which they live. And I can tell you right now, y'all will all agree with me on that. We live in a system that wants to control us through the powerful influence of culture and society. Now, their behaviors, their attitudes, their preferences, their habits were not according to God's standards, but according to the world's standards. That's what they were measuring by. 
That's what they were living by. This worldly system puts an amazing amount of pressure on each person trying to get them to conform. And we know, oh, we know the world wants us to conform to it, right? We can see it in our government. We can see it in the different people groups out there and the different people groups that are forming that want to push an agenda or push a way of life. We know this. They want us to conform. The unbeliever, whether consciously or unconsciously, is controlled by these values, preferences, and attitudes of this world. Jesus is not of this world, family. Nor are his people. But a lost sheep, a lost sheep follows this course until rescued. You know where I'm going. A sheep follows this course, this world. Satan, the flesh, until rescued. Let's talk about Satan for a second. He's known as the prince of the power of the air. See, many people in the ancient Near East believed that the, 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 between the heavens and the earth was the realm, was the sphere in which evil spirits resided. Now, Satan is a powerful supernatural being. He is. And he rules over evil spirits. He possesses authority and he possesses influence over his realm. That's why he's known as the power of the air. However, he's a created being. He's not omnipresent. He's not like our God. I'm not sure if you know this or not. He can only be in one place at one time, folks. Satan is not like our God. One place at one time. Although he may not work personally, on a person level, right, uh, in the life of each believer, he rules over the spirits, the demonic associates that he has, and he has power over the world system. Think about this for a second. Just turn on the news. Oh, I can't stand the news. But if you watch where we've come from, where we're going, you can't help but say, what is behind this worldly system? Satan is. It's his influence. It's his power over this. And he's using this to affect all the lives of unbelievers, and he's attempting to influence believers as well. And you know, some churches are caving to this. I'm very proud of this church. We won't cave. Some churches are starting to bend. Maybe they're right. Well, let's just make things easier. It's easier to compromise God's word than to, to, to be at an argument or to be at, at war, right? No. We cannot fall into that trap. This is a system that is influenced by Satan himself. His goal is to make us disobedient just as he was disobedient to God. And one of his greatest tools that Satan uses, you probably already know it, one of the greatest tools to get people to disobey God is just a simple lie. Just lying. John 8.44. John 8.44. You are of your father the devil. And you will do, uh, excuse me, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What did he say to Eve? You will surely die. What? What's this you say? You will surely die? No, you won't surely die. And then it all started, didn't it? 
It all started from there. He is the father of lies. He is a liar. He plunged the human race into sin because of his lies. And here is the problem with the multitudes of unbelievers today. Here is the problem. That in being conformed to this worldly system, they believe the lies of Satan. And when you believe the lies of Satan, if, right, if a person believes the lie, then they're going to practice the lie. They become a child of disobedience. And we can see that in this world. We can see the disobedience. I mean, think of the full spectrum of this worldly disobedience. There's evidence of Satan at work. There's evidence of the flesh at work. There's evidence of worldly conformity. Satan is destined for defeat, though. Christ, Christ whipped him. He's destined for defeat. He has a limited amount of time, and he knows that. The time is limited for Satan. So he wants to do as much damage as possible to humanity. He wants to dominate human subjects. He wants to pull them farther and farther away from God. And as we can see, again, if you watch the news or just observe out in the world, you can see that he is somewhat effective. Why? Because unbelievers are characterized by disobedience, and we see it. We are experiencing that disobedience. So we've got the world, an enemy. We've got Satan, absolute enemy. But what about the flesh? Paul wants to talk about the flesh too. Now, he is referring to the selfish part of human nature, the self-gratifying part, okay? Paul's not referring to our body, but to the human nature that we were born into. The body in and of itself is not sinful, so he wants to stress this. Our flesh causes us to sin. This is an effect that stems from the fall, all the way back in Genesis. We become self-centered in our human nature, and the result of this condition is not following the will of God, but instead carrying out the desires of our body, the desires of our mind. That is now our God. That's what we're going to follow. So why does a sinner act like a sinner? Why does a sinner behave like a sinner? Well, that's their nature. They're a sinner. And it's simple as that. Because their nature is a sinner. And this is why an unsafe person is living in disobedience to God. He or she is controlled by the world. He or she is controlled by Satan. He or she is controlled by the flesh. Three great enemies of God. And because a person cannot change his nature... And because a person cannot overcome the world, and because a person cannot overcome the devil, this person needs help. And this help can only come from God. It was a hopeless condition for these poor children. They were as good as dead. So were we, because we once lived and we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the air. We were lost. And these are the reasons. You know, there, this is why the parable of the lost sheep is so important. I want to read to you the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, uh, 4 through 7. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, excuse me, has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep. 
that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Notice who goes after the sheep. The sheep does not turn around and look for the fold that it left. It's not looking for the flock. The sheep doesn't turn around looking for the shepherd. No, the shepherd goes after the sheep. God is our only rescuer. God is our only rescuer. He's the only one that can save us from the control of our sinful nature, the three enemies, world, Satan, and the flesh. Let's talk about this hopeless condition. Because I know, come on, I'm going to just be honest with you. Here we go. I know people are disgusting in this world. Absolutely disgusting. You can see it in any political election, right? You can see it on any major event that happens in the world. All these craziness comes out. People are disgusting. Children of disobedience are ugly. We don't like their actions. We don't like the way they think. They contradict godly thinking and our beliefs. They can be horrible, horrible people. We all know that. We all know it too well, actually. And it comes to the point where I'd rather just avoid them. It's easier just to avoid them. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. People today can be absolutely disgusting, but they are creations made in God's image. God sees them in their hopeless condition and goes, and we know too, we know, listen, we work with them, we live with them, we uh, go to school with them, we cross paths, we may even go to church with them. Who knows? There are people that don't truly believe in God, but God still holds hope. He sees the hopeless condition. We've located the sinners in our lives. We know who they are, but they are still lost, right? Even though they've been located, they're still lost. They're not found. So what do we do with this? God, how am I supposed to see these lost? Because it's easy to look at it and go, I just, I don't want to waste the energy or the time. I don't want to waste the energy on time with somebody that's not going to listen or not going to repent. Folks, we don't know who God is working on. It is not our decision to say, I think I'll take you. We don't pick and choose. We have no idea who the Holy Spirit is chiseling away at. That's why we are wonderful instruments and agents for God. We have to be on the ready. It's a hopeless condition. But let's talk about this. In verse 3, it says, we once lived. You know what wrath is? Wrath is God's righteous judgment against evil. As children of wrath, Paul is referring to our condition determined at birth. Children of wrath are those who deserve or are destined to experience God's wrath. This horrible situation is not due just to outside influences, but to the nature, right, to the nature we were born into. So by birth, we are children of wrath. However, as we mature, as we get older, we have the choice to reject Christ. So do the multitudes. They can reject Christ knowingly after reaching an age of accountability, we become not only children of wrath, but children of disobedience. And this is by choice. And once we, want, we, once we lived this life, once we walked this life, and it was our choice, that's why we have to remember what it was to be lost. We have to remember why we were lost. So things are looking pretty grim for humankind. It's looking pretty bad. We are in a dire and dangerous situation. Paul's expressing this to the Ephesian believers. He wants them to understand. But then something happens in verse 4. Verse 4, something happens here. But God, 
Just those two words. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. What saves us? By grace we've been saved. But God, although we were born by nature, children of wrath, right? Um, The words but God come into play. Where we are made alive, becoming children of God rather than children of wrath. We've been made alive. Folks, before that, we were condemned. We were condemned. The sentence had been passed. Then we read the words, but God. I can only imagine it feeling like my child is dead in this cave. They're going to bring a body out. It's been 17 days. And then they bring my child out and they say, he's going to the hospital. You need to meet him there. He's alive. I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to talk. I doubt I would be able to talk or even stand. Because, but God comes into play. In his great mercy, he has stayed our execution of the sentence, meaning you and I do not get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve. There is no way that we could save ourselves. People have got to begin to understand this. We cannot save ourselves. What a huge difference these two make. God made salvation possible. He had to step in with grace. He made salvation possible. This salvation removes the separation between us and God and places us in Christ Jesus. We are found in him. We talked about this all through Philippians, being found in Jesus. This is where we are found. You know the song Amazing Grace? Come on. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I need you to come with me on a journey. The parents are standing in front of this cave, crying out the names of their children. I would switch with you in a second. Give me death. Let them live. You know we'd all be the same way with our loved ones. We're aching. We're screaming. We're crying. We want rescue. We want them to be found and come out safe. This is what we want. I need you to picture this because God, are you ready for this? This is how God sees the lost. What we find is disgusting and ugly. What we find just, we don't even want to come near you, not with a 10-foot pole. This is how God sees the lost. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you think you're so special that you didn't live this life, that you didn't follow this course? Absolutely not. Scripture tells us we did. The devil may tell you you're not. He may be lying to you. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie. We need to see what these parents saw. see. We need to feel what they're feeling because this is how God sees the lost. And we need to see them through God's eyes and his heart as well. You know what Luke 19.10 says? Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you hear that? He came to seek. We know what it means to be lost. And thank God we know what it means to be found. We did not remain lost, did we? Unbelievers can be saved. Even those we think, oh, there is no help for that guy. Don't ever limit your God. You don't know what he's up to. You don't know what he's working on. An unbeliever can be saved. Oh, boy. Those that reject Christ, and I'm talking about reject Christ in a nasty, filthy way where you go, oh, gross, you're disgusting, right? They can be saved. 
Ephesians 2, the first three verses, explain and describe the conditions of the lost. The next two verses, 4 and 5, tell us, but God, in His rich mercy, in His great love, even though we were dead, made us alive. Why can't He do that for anybody else? Absolutely He can. These are the conditions of being found. Dead, I love to summarize things. These first five verses, you've got dead or alive. Spiritually, lost or found. And what happens in the middle here? What's going to bridge this gap? I'll give it to you. But God. But God. But God intervened. God saved us. God made us alive. The Son of God left heaven to come to us. If you want to argue with me on if God chases us or not, I'm going to say that line to you, and I hope that's the end of it. He left heaven to come to us. That gives me goosebumps. We once lived this way. We once walked this way. We too were disgusting, filthy, nasty, ugly. We too rejected Christ. And I know, hey, I grew up Christian. You can't tell me that. Oh, no, no, no. The Bible tells us. I don't care if you have a prodigal son story. I don't care if you've gone to church your whole life. I don't care if you had this wonderful, huge salvation experience. We all walked. We all once lived this way. So we need to see the lost as God sees them through his eyes, through his heart. Here's the thing. We need to become the parents of that cave. Here's what we need to do. We need In order to see them as God sees them, we need to place ourselves at the mouth of that cave screaming for our children. You know what I'm talking about. It hurts, doesn't it? It makes me want to cry thinking any one of my children is on this small, sandy bank, freezing, starving, thirsting, seeing the water levels come up, coughing, just terrified. Because they are so lost. They are as good as dead. That is what the lost are like in this world. Their trespasses and their sins are leaving them in a hopeless condition where they are as good as dead. But then comes in, but God. But God. Listen, as we place ourselves at the mouth of this cave, we need to pray and we need to hope for the lost in our lives. You know who who I'm talking about. The lost in your lives. We need to pray for them to be found in Jesus, to be saved. See, it's God's work. First off, don't think it's your work. Dismiss that. It's God's work. But he uses us as agents, and he uses us as instruments in his work. The story today that I used was an example to help us understand the great love that God has for those who are lost in following the course of this world and those that are following the course of Satan and those that are following the course of their flesh. He has great love for them, and we need to begin to see the lost in this light. It's almost like they can't help it. They don't even know. The kids didn't even realize at first that they were as good as dead. They didn't even know. We need to be there for those that are in this hopeless condition, and it does take prayer. It does take fortitude. It takes strength in God to do this. But God, when I think of those two words, but God, it brings life. But God, he makes us alive. I don't ever want you to look back, and we're almost done. I know it's been a long service. I don't want you to look back at your guilt and shame and your sin and go, 
and, and it become a hindrance to you where you don't move forward, you don't progress forward in your walk. I don't want you to look back for that. I don't want you to look back at your past sin and your past life and, and make obstacles, attach yourself to obstacles that keep you from moving forward. Only reason I want you to look back is to remember where you came from. I want you to remember what it was like to be lost. You know what Matthew 9 says? There's, there's a couple of verses in Matthew 9. Where, you don't have to look it up. It just I'm going to summarize. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. We need more laborers. We need more people to see the lost as God sees them. We need more people to see the lost and labor for these people as God sees them. We have a great opportunity today. Two things. First off, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you are a blessed person to come to this church today and be in this service because you have opportunity right now to ask this God of ours who loves you more than anything, who would trade places and did trade places with you in death, he wants to become your life. He wants you to invite him into his heart today. It's, it's my hope and prayer that you ask God into your heart today if you're an unbeliever. You ask God in your heart and you watch the transformation. You watch the change. You are going from life, I mean, excuse me, you're going from death into life today. And it's all because of our God. I want you to really think about that as we close this service. The opportunity you have to take this God into your heart and be changed forever. To be rescued because there was only one way out of that cave. And there is only one way to the Father. There is only one way to eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. Here's the next opportunity for us believers. We have opportunity. We know who we cross paths with in life. We know who is lost. We know where they are. We have to be a beacon of hope. We have to be a beacon of light. God uses us in people's lives all the time in his redemptive purposes. Don't ever think God doesn't have a purpose for your life. Don't ever think God doesn't use you because when you are a believer in Christ and you are following his will, this is exactly what he does. He uses us. We have to be ready for these opportunities. We have to be willing and available, and we have to dismiss the things that would keep us from loving somebody the way God loves somebody because he loved us. He saved us. He rescued us. There's opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an amazing God. We love you so much. Father, we know that we were rescued. There was no hope no hope for us. Our condition was death. Father, you came in. You stepped in. And through your initiating grace, Father, you saved those that have accepted who you are. You saved those through the work of the cross. You have saved those, Father, that didn't even know they were in a hopeless condition. You have chiseled away at our hearts, Father. You've removed the hardness and the callousness of our hearts, Father. And now we see with open eyes, we see who you are and what you've done for us, Father. We want to be instrumental in that process, Lord. Use us in the lives of the lost. Help us remember what it is to be lost. Help us remember, Lord, what, it, what, what, what we were lost for. What were the reasons? Why were we in that condition? And help us remember, Father, how we were found. Father, give us your eyes so that we can see. Give us your heart so that we can love. There is much need, Father. We know the harvest is plentiful. Father God, please, we pray today, give us 
these things. Help us see the lost the way you see them, Lord. And let us follow, follow your will into leading those to you. That's the opportunity at hand, Father. And those that don't know you yet, that are even in this room today, Lord, I pray for their hearts to open up right now and receive you as their Lord and Savior, changing them for eternity. You are a good, good God. You are a gracious and kind and loving God. You gave your life for us so that we could be rescued. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.